I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we'll be. We've been in Mark for a number of weeks. And um, it just so happens this, the, the text this morning is a very short text. And uh, it's one of those when I came across it that I, I actually thought, well, this will, this will sort of be a throwaway week. This will sort of be a throwaway text. There, there's not a whole lot in here. In fact, this is like the third time that Jesus has said what he's going to say in this text to his disciples. So in my mind, I'm thinking, it's not a big deal. We will we'll breeze right through this. And then I began to sit down and study. And I began to ask God, what's in this text? Jesus, why? Why did you, for the third time, repeat this to your disciples? And this week, I've got to tell you that I was really kind of blown away with what's here. And uh, it doesn't mean that I'll be a long time this morning. It just means that I, I think there's some things in here for us. So let's look at this together. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was, what was to happen to him. And saying, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. In 1977, Billy Joel released uh, an album. And on that album, Billy Joel, uh, any Billy Joel fans here? Just a few of you. Brings back, you know. He released this album, and on this album was the song, Only the Good Die Young. And while this song really, if you look at the lyrics, has nothing to do with, with what it's often used for, it's often used to remember or to commemorate those who have, in the language of the world, died too early. They died before their time. They died in their prime. This, is often, this song is often played to remember uh, all sorts of famous people. Just this past week, just this past Monday, MTV's Ryan Dunn, was killed in a car accident. Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, Heath Ledger, Natasha Richardson, John Lennon, John Belushi, Marilyn Monroe, Clark Gable, Bruce Lee, River Phoenix, John Ritter, Janis Joplin, Hank Williams, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, James Dean, Tupac Shakur, Jim Morrison, Patsy Cline, Jimi Hendrix, Karen Carpenter, Selena, Kurt Cobain, Chris Farley, John Candy, Otis Redding. These are just several names that you think of when you hear this song, Only the Good Die Young. But I wonder, for many, I think Jesus is just another name that could be added to that list. They would say that Jesus Christ's name belongs in there, that he really died in the prime of his life. That he died before his time. That life just happened to him. He was a good teacher who was living and working to bring peace to the world in which he lived. And that's when life happened to him. And he was struck down before his time. I think that's what many would say if you were to ask them today. But is that? I ask you the question this morning. Is that really the case with Jesus Christ? Was Jesus struck down before his time? Did life just happen to Jesus? I don't think so. 
And I don't think life just happened to Jesus. I think instead his life was perfectly laid down according to the greater plan of God. And I want to show you that very quickly this morning in this text. First of all, in this text, I want to show you that Jesus, don't miss it, was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to get there. The Bible here says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Some translations say that Jesus was leading them. And while it was commonplace for rabbis to walk ahead of their disciples, I think the writer here, I think Mark, writing from probably the perspective of Peter, wants us to see something more. This is not just an average normal rabbi simply walking on his way to Jerusalem leading his disciples. I think the way it's worded, Mark wants us to see that Jesus is resolute in getting to Jerusalem. He's not simply walking as a rabbi would. He is going up to Jerusalem with a purpose in mind. He's leading the way. Don't miss this. Jesus knew exactly what he was sent to do, and he had determined, he had resolved himself to see it through. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Some 700 years before this happened, written of Jesus, really written as if Jesus were saying this in the first person. In Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. This is talking about Jesus heading to Jerusalem. When I came across that text, that phrase, like a flint, I didn't know what that meant. How many of you use that in everyday language? I've set my face like a flint. I I, I mean, I kind of knew what it meant, but I really didn't know what it meant, so I had to go looking for that. The only flint that I knew of was the flint that you'd find out in the out in the woods and you'd pick it up and you could you could break it off and you could you could make things with it. I didn't I didn't know really kind of what this was. And I looked and John Gill has this to say about this phrase like a flint. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint or like steel or as an adamant stone as some render it hardened against all opposition resolute and undaunted. Now think about Jesus Christ heading to Jerusalem. He's on the road. In just just a few more verses, we will get to the last week of Jesus' life, and we will spend the remainder of the book of Mark in the last week of Jesus' life. He's heading here for the last time, and he knows it. He's unmoved by the words and blows of men. Isn't that sometimes the hardest thing to get past? Those people that strike blows at you with their words. They make fun of you for certain choices that you make. They come against you with words. Jesus pays them no attention. It does not deter him. He is headed to Jerusalem. He doesn't care if he is browbeaten or put out of countenance by anything they say or do. He was not dismayed at his enemies who came to apprehend him, though they came to him as a thief with swords and staves, nor in the high priest's palace, nor in Pilate's hall, in both which, in both which places he was roughly used, John Gill says, nor at Satan and his principalities and powers, nor at death itself with all its terrors. Jesus was resolute here. You think about all that he had to put back and go through and put aside, despising the shame he went to the cross. This is, what, this is what moved Luke to write in his gospel. 
That when Jesus set his face, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was not looking away. He was not distracted by the other things. Think about, this is the one who was the object of worship. Throughout eternity, from the time there were angels, the angels cried worship to him. He is the one who is God of very God. Yet he sets his face to go to Jerusalem knowing far well what it will mean. Here in this verse, we are meant to see once and for all that Jesus went to the cross on purpose. Hear me. If you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say this. The cross was no accident. Calvary was no afterthought. Open theism and process theism is wrong. God is not here simply reacting to man's choice. What's happened in the universe he created. This is his plan. And we see Jesus here setting his face to do exactly what God sent him to do. The Father sent him to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus will not be distracted by anything. He will go and he will go Willingly, and he will go on purpose, knowing what he's walking into. Don't miss that he pulls the twelve aside. He pulls the twelve aside when it says that some were amazed and some were afraid. He pulls them aside and he says, you need to be afraid. You need to be afraid if there is no resurrection. Because we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the scribes and the chief priests. And they will condemn him to death. They will, they will have their day in court and they will finally pronounce him guilty. And they will condemn him to death, Jesus says. And they will then deliver him, speaking of himself, over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans. And he says, the Romans then will mock him. Do you remember the scene where they took the old soldier's cloak and they placed it on him and they took the crown of thorns and they made it, the, the thorns, they made it into a crown and they pressed that down on his brow. They took a reed, made a king's scepter out of it and they put it in his hand. They struck him causing him to fall to his knees. And when he fell, they bowed before him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And Jesus here, before the event happens, says to them, they will mock him. And they will spit on him. There is not anything that is more offensive than someone spitting on you. Now, I spit up here all the time. That's why you all don't sit on this front row. And these lights really show it, you know. I go home and my kids say, Dad, that was a good one today. It really traveled, you know. You had... But there is not a lot that's more offensive than someone intentionally spitting on you. And it wasn't just 
the guards. As he was paraded through those streets carrying his own cross, the people in the crowds, because he was a condemned criminal, in their place, they spat on him. They punched him and they kicked him as he went by. Jesus says they will mock him, they will spit upon him, they will flog him. Flogging is one of the most excruciating methods of torture ever to be devised. They would take this short handle made of wood, some other medium, and they would wrap it in leather, and there would be nine straps of leather that would come off of this handle. And in the ends, and all along, through those straps, there would be pieces of bone and rock and metal sewn into that. And they would take the criminal and they would, they would put him into a kneeling position and cause him to reach over the object that he was bent over, exposing his back for all of it was. They would strip him naked. And then they would take that cat of nine tails and they would stand back, one on either side, and they would take turns whipping that across his back and the pieces of metal and bone and stone were meant to pull and, and rip flesh from his back. And then he says, and the Son of Man will be killed. And Jesus knew exactly how he would be killed. He knew he was going to the Romans, and the Romans, when they killed, they killed with the cross. And Jesus knew that he would be nailed to that cross. He would have nails driven through the base of his hands and through the feet. He knew he would be raised and dropped into that hole with a thud, ripping at the flesh, the nerves. The crucifixion was a horrible way to die. Crucifixion was really suffocation. And it was suffocation at the person's control. Because what would happen is as they would linger on, they would drop. And as they would drop, it would cause their lungs to be pulled outward and upward. And it made it hard to exhale. And when they would try to exhale, they would have to then take their feet, which had a nail ran through their feet, and their hands, which had nails driven there. And they would have to push and pull up so that they could then exhale, inhale one more time before they sank down. And the nerves that were there around that rusty nail, every time the person would push up, would rotate around that nail, causing extreme agony. And that back that had been ripped open by the cat of nine tails, by the flogging, would scrape against that old rugged cross. And Jesus here says to them, We are going up to Jerusalem. I will not look away. I know exactly what I am going into. Now come, go with me. Oh yeah. He knew exactly what he was walking into and he knew exactly that they needed to fear. But then he adds this and he says, and after three days, I will rise. Perfect love casts out fear. 
Jesus knew. What made him resolute was to be obedient to the Father, but he also knew that in being obedient to the Father, the Father's pleasure would cause him to be raised from the dead. That all of this that he would go through, and this is just the physical, temporal, here in the flesh pain that Jesus went through, says nothing of the spiritual hurt being abandoned there. He knew that all of it was temporary because three days later he would rise. We sang a song a minute ago, how deep the Father's love for us, and one of the lines in the song says, why should I gain from his reward? And that's what it's talking about. Do you understand with me today that we gain from His reward because He was resolute and determined and went to Jerusalem knowing full well what He was going into and because He suffered all that He did and because He was raised from the dead, you and I don't have to die that way. We don't have to bear the wrath of God. We will live forever because Jesus has been raised from the dead. But it is only for those who would see themselves for who they really are. Today, you, right here, do you understand who you are in light of who Jesus is? As we sang those songs, I couldn't help but as we sang, sin is broken. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. I couldn't help but remember not just my sin way back there, but my sin today. The power and the penalty of my sin today has been broken. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why perfect love casts out fear. Because all of the things that were to be feared were taken on by Christ. If today you are here and you've never you've never come before the God of this universe, you've never come before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, And said to him, I have sinned against you. And because of that, I deserve wrath and eternal punishment. I deserve hell. But Jesus, today, by faith, I want to turn away from myself, from my selfish pursuits, from my sinful life. And Jesus, I want to turn from that. And I want to trust and receive what you have done for me. Many of you have tried to be resolute. Many of you have spent all of your life trying to conquer some sin. You've been resolute and you've set your face like flint to conquer this thing. And how's that going for you? Because without Christ, you'll never conquer it. Without Christ, you are desperately wicked. Without Christ, I am desperately wicked, hopeless. You hear people say, what about the innocent guy on the island who's never heard of Jesus Christ? 
Newsflash. There is no innocent guy on any island. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. My question to you today is, will you pronounce yourself guilty? And then will you by faith receive his righteousness? It was for that that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning, I have no idea of knowing where individuals are with you. I have no way of really knowing where they stand. God, today I stand here knowing that your word is true. The gospel is the power of salvation. God, I stand here today confident in your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would move among us, that you would awaken those of, who are dead here to you, that you would cause them to turn to you. And God, that today that you would save those who hear you today. We know based on the authority of your word that you will. And God, I pray for those of us who are here that our believers are saved, but we have lost sight of what you have done for us, God, that it would deepen our faith it would deepen our worship of you. It would not cause us to try to be more resolute. But God, that it would cause us to retreat all the more into the beautiful gospel. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you just a few minutes as Ethan plays. Just to contemplate what's, what's been said. Just to think about it. Maybe... Maybe it requires some action of you today. Maybe you need to be obedient in some way. We want you to think about it. Think seriously about it. Ask God to show you what this today requires for you. And then after just a few minutes, I'll come back up to the front. If today you need to be saved, you don't need to come through me. You come through Jesus Christ alone. But I would love to be here and help you through that. I would love to pray with you. If today maybe you're here and you just need prayer for something special, I'll be here at the front. Maybe today you need to right where you are say, God, I have stepped away from your grace and I've been trying to do it on my own. And God, today I just fall back again into your grace, trusting that there's not anything that I could do to make you love me more. There's not anything that I could do to make you love me less. I didn't deserve your love to begin with. And it's grace and mercy from beginning to end. Whatever it is that you need to do today, this is an opportunity that goes even beyond our hour, but this is an opportunity for you to respond publicly in the context of this local faith family. Whatever it is you need to do, do it today. Ethan, you lead.